guys. Welcome back to the Beck and Call podcast. I'm your host, Merritt Beck. As a longtime fashion blogger, I've loved connecting with my audience over the years on all things life, work, love, and everything in between. And I wanted to bring that to life on this podcast. You can consider the Beck and Call podcast a weekly catch up with your internet bestie, where I share personal life updates, recent recs and reviews, and discuss relevant, interesting topics for women in their 20s, 30s, and beyond. I am so glad you're here. So let's get into this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. It is Thursday and I am about to hit the road for Austin, but I wanted to make sure I recorded the intro, outro and ad for this week before I head out so I don't have as much work to do on Monday when I get back. Unfortunately, there is some yard work happening next door, so hopefully you won't hear any of that, but you might be hearing some leaf work going on. My apologies. Hopefully you don't hear it, but just wanted to give you a heads up that that is happening and I would wait to do it, but I just, I really want to get on the road and not have to do this later. So (laughs) I'm so excited about this week's episode. I sat down for a chat with my friend, Liz Adams, who is a fellow influencer. She is based in Charleston, but you might recall when she lived in Chicago And she has been creating content for a long time. So we chat all things influencer industry, how she got started. We chat about kind of the evolution of her content because she started in fashion and now she's more lifestyle, family friendly, that kind of stuff. We also discuss kind of the evolution of the industry itself and what her thoughts are on all of the different channels and subscriptions and all of that. So It's a great conversation if you are interested at all in the influencer industry or just want to hear two girlfriends chat. So it's really fun to chat with her. So you can definitely look forward to that interview later on in the episode. But before we get into it with Liz, let's go through a quick weekend recap and some recs and reviews. So thankfully, this last week and weekend was much less busy for me in terms of social stuff, which is great because it's been busy on the work side of things. And I've just needed to have kind of (laughs) less going on. But last Saturday, I went to a fun crawfish boil at Park House with a few of my friends. It was such a beautiful day. It was like the perfect day for that. And one thing that I wanted to share, which was so exciting and exhilarating, I wore a dress that I have not been able to zip up since 2018. I was so giddy. I was so thrilled. It's amazing that I even kept this dress as long as I did because I feel like Usually I get rid of things that don't fit me after a season or two, and I haven't been able to wear it for several years, but it was one of my favorite purchases when I bought it, and I still love it. It is such a classic style. It's by Alexa Chung, and it's sort of an ivory midi dress. It's got a little bit of a ruffle trim. There's sort of an abstract print. I think it's navy or black, the print, but it's like very thin, so you could kind of go either way with the accessories you pair with it, but it's just, it was one of my favorite dresses and I'm so glad I held on to it because I can fit into it again. <laughs> I'm so happy. But anyway, after the crawfish boil, I just stayed in. I didn't do anything Friday night. I didn't do anything Saturday night. On Sunday, I didn't do much either. There was a little bit of sun. And so Reese's and I sat outside and enjoyed the sunshine for a couple hours. But then Sunday night, I did have plans. I went to another DJ graduation. So if you recall, a few months ago, back in January, I went to a the graduation, DJ graduation of my friend Katie. She took this DJ class, DJ school, and it was like a six or eight week program. And then at the end, all of the graduates do put on a set. And they do it at this place called Greenlight Social. And so she did that in January and it was so fun. We went to support her. 
And then this past weekend, we went for my friend and hairdresser, my colorist, Monty. So he came to Katie's graduation and he was, he's always been very into the idea of being a DJ. And so he decided to do the class as well. And it was really fun to go support him. So that was sort of a fun Sunday night. And then this week has been all about work because I decided I wanted to leave for Austin on Thursday. So today, so I needed to get as much work done as possible before I leave because the plan, by the time you listen to this, the plan is that my new website will have launched on Monday. And I obviously had to wait on the developer to get it done. I had to provide some edits and tweaks and give them photos and other content. So I have been shooting stuff, prepping stuff, writing stuff, working on content for the site launch. And so that my week has been kind of chock full of that. I also, of course, interviewed Liz this week. So that was really fun to chat with her on Tuesday. Um, It's been very busy work-wise, and so I have not had any energy to do anything after work. I've just been watching TV and eating and going to sleep. (laughs) But I'm so excited to head to Austin today. I have been missing it. I've told you guys, I've just kind of been craving visiting there more often and just being around my family more. And eventually, I think I may move back there. Like, let's say I'm still single after I've been in this house for five years, which it's crazy. We're already on year three of being in this house, so... In a couple of years, if I'm still single and living in Dallas and I might consider moving. So anyway, going to Austin today, I am trying a new to me pizza place. It's called All Day Pizza. It's actually not new, but they opened a new location next to a, another new place called Flo's Wine Bar. I think they're kind of attached. It's on 35th Street, but I'm really excited because all of the pictures I've seen of it look fantastic. They sell the pizza by the slice. They all look super gourmet. They're really big slices like New York style pizza. They look so good. I can't wait to try that. They also have a miso Caesar, which you guys know I love a miso flavor. So I'm really excited to try that. And then also they're known, All Day is known for their frozen yogurt. Everybody I follow in Austin has already been and it just looks so decadent and delicious. And you know, I haven't been eating dessert. The only time I've eaten dessert Really, since January was for my stepdad's birthday, I had a slice of cake. And so this will be a supreme indulgence for me, and I cannot wait. I'm definitely going to let myself eat that. And then I'm also going to be trying cheese new dim sum brunch on Saturday, which I can't wait to report back on. I love dim sum. I love dumplings. And so cannot wait to try that. It's sort of a new offering they've started in the last year, I guess. And that's one of my mom and Morris's favorite Asian places in Austin. So we're all going on Saturday and I can't wait. Now that you've heard a little bit about what's going on around these parts, let's chat about what I've been watching and listening to this week. Last weekend, I started a new show called Well Mania. It's on Netflix and it's an Australian show. And it's about this woman who is just like such a partier. She does a lot of drugs. She drinks a lot. She eats really poorly. She doesn't exercise, just like not a super healthy person who is a food critic in New York. And she goes home to Australia to visit her family. And then she ends up having sort of a major health crisis, which prevents her from getting a green card back to the U.S., And the whole season, she's like volleying between being really healthy, trying to get her health kind of back on track so she can get her green card because she's desperate to get home to New York. And then she's also like making really stupid decisions and like snorting coke and like just being crazy. Anyway, it is so fucking funny. I have loved every minute of the show. I finished it in like two days. It was such a quick watch for me. So if you're looking for something hysterical, it's a good one. 
This goes without saying, but there's obviously a lot of drinking and drug use in the show. So if you don't like watching stuff like that, you're not going to like it. But it really is one of the funnier shows I've seen in a long time. And then the other show I've been watching in the last couple of weeks is Yellow Jackets season two. Yellow Jackets season one, I absolutely loved. It is very dark. It is very interesting. It's about a group of girls who plane crashes and they get lost in the middle of nowhere. And they're basically just trying to survive. Totally my kind of show. Super dark though. But season two, they're getting a little bit more into the nitty gritty of what it takes for them to survive out in the wilderness. And there's a little bit of cannibalism. And the most recent episode, season two, was upsetting, to say the least. It was really graphic. It was gratuitous. It was so dark. I'm still going to watch it, but like, I really hope every episode going forward isn't like that. Like, I hope they just do that once every few episodes if they're going to get into that kind of detail. It's just really nauseating. But the show is still good. It's it's just taking an interesting turn. So just a warning, if you have a weak stomach, you may not enjoy season two. But with that said, I think it'll be going in an interesting direction. I'm excited to see what happens. Um, it is a Showtime show, so they only release one episode a week, which kind of sucks. <laughs> For some reason, I only like it when HBO does that. Like I, I really enjoy the Sunday night ritual of an HBO show release. Uh, but Showtime, I think, releases them on Friday. Like, I think it's just Friday night is not a night that I'm sitting in and watching TV usually. So uh, but anyway, Yellow Jacket season two, not for the faint of heart. And now moving on to the thing I've been most eager to chat with you guys about Daisy Jones and the Six. So I have to give credit where credit is due. My friend Lauren loved this book and recommended it to me. I had recently read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which is by the same author, Taylor Jenkins Reid. And so I knew I would probably enjoy Daisy Jones and the Six, but I'm truthfully not that big into like rock and roll band lore, that kind of thing. So I had sort of pushed it off. I hadn't really thought I would enjoy it that much. And I started listening to it last week and I finished it in like three days. I tore through it and I absolutely love the audiobook. It's one of my favorite audiobooks I've listened to because every voice is narrated by a different actor and all of the actors are pretty famous. So Pablo Schreiber, he is Billy. Benjamin Bratt, who is like the sexiest voice ever, plays Graham. And there are a bunch of other pretty, pretty famous actors who portray these characters. And while I think that was made for a really amazing audiobook, I've also started watching the show now that I'm done with the book, because that was the whole point is I wanted to read the book before watching the show and the show just came out and I didn't want to see any spoilers. So I really wanted to hop on it and get it over with quick. So I read or I listened to the book, loved the book. And then this week I started the series, which is on Amazon. Future me jumping on here because I originally recorded this segment last week and had some thoughts about the show because I'd only watched a couple of episodes. And now that I finished the show, I have a different perspective. So (laughs) I wanted to re-record it because truthfully, when I first started watching it, I didn't love the casting. And I think part of it is because I really loved the voices on the audiobook. And this has happened to me with other books that have been turned into TV shows or movies, because in the book, something is described a certain way and you sort of have this picture in your mind of what they're going to be. And then maybe the actor that they hire for the role doesn't meet those kind of 
expectations you create in your head of what that character is supposed to be like or how they were described in the book. They don't totally match up to what you thought it was going to be. And so that's happened to me before, not only with books like this, but like even with Harry Potter, like I remember Hermione was described as this like bushy haired, annoying, big toothed little girl. And she was obviously very cute, even in the first movie. Uh, Yes, her hair was bushy in that first movie, but like I had an idea and she wasn't she wasn't that criteria. And eventually, of course, I loved Hermione and it all was fine. But that's sort of how I felt about listening to the book. And then immediately after watching the show, I just had a different thought in my head of what the characters were going to be like in real life, if that makes sense. So, for example, in Daisy Jones and the Six, in the audiobook, people who play Billy and Graham, so Benjamin Bratt and Pablo Schreiber, both have very deep voices. They sound like bigger guys. They just have these like really sultry, low, sexy voices. And then on the show, you see Billy and Graham and they're both like really skinny, which is, makes sense. They're like wannabe rock stars. And, you know, that was the look back then with the long hair and just not super built. But because the voices on the audiobook were so deep, I was just expecting like bigger dudes. I guess. Uh, that's not to say those guys weren't great in the roles. And like I ended up really loving the cast as a whole at the end, but it took me a while to kind of warm up to them, I'll say. And also Becca nailed this when she talked about this on Bat on Paper. I think this was last week or the week before, but she talked about how Sam Claflin looks like a completely different person in every role that he's in. Like, for example, in The Hunger Games, he was like really bronzed and blonde and hot and like really muscly. And then in this role, he looks almost emaciated. Like his face looks gaunt. His hair is like stringy and greasy, which I'm sure was on purpose. But I just did not find him attractive at all. And that made it really hard (laughs) for me to watch. And that's not to say he's not attractive. Like I've seen him in other roles and thought he was attractive, but I just did not find him attractive in this. And like the other guys weren't unattractive either. They just were, they just, everybody was so small, (laughs) which I guess maybe the rock star look. Anyway, that aside, I really liked the casting eventually. Like I really liked Daisy. I really loved Simone. I loved, um, oh, what's her name? The one who's dating Robert Pattinson, Sookie Waterhouse. She played Karen. I loved her in that role. But like I said, overall, it just took me a minute to really get into it and like them. And I also, it took me a little while to get into the show too. Even though I already knew the story, the first few episodes were really slow because they're trying to fit a lot of like backstory in before they get to the band coming together and starting to record and all of that. And so it really didn't pick up until episode like five, four or five. And I think there are 10 episodes overall. So it wasn't until about halfway through that I was like, I'm really loving this and like super invested. So just know that going into it, that the first few episodes are just a little slow. They kind of creep along as you're getting all the information. And then another thing that was a slow burn for me was the singing. And maybe I'm just a harsh critic because I grew up singing. I'm classically trained. I went to college for it. <laughs> like I, I'm, I am a singer. And so I have an ear for it. And I guess I didn't really love the sound at first. I didn't love their voices at first but they grew on me. 
And I did end up liking the music. I haven't listened to the full soundtrack. I know that that's like trending on Spotify or whatever. And I know that they're going to go on tour, which is so cool. Like, I love that that was built into their contracts. But honestly, it just took me a while to warm up to it. I just I didn't think they were naturally that good at singing. But then when they started singing together, doing the duets and harmonizing and performing, I really enjoyed it. I ended up liking it as a whole. And let's not forget Simone, fantastic voice. I thought her voice was like velvet. It was so smooth. Like it made me so mad the many times when she should have been a star and like got slighted at every turn. That made me so angry because she is she is a fantastic voice. I would go watch her live anytime. But that also just may be more the kind of music I like to listen to. I don't know. But like I said, everything kind of grew on me. The first few episodes, I was like, eh, about the characters, meh, about the singing. Um, and then by the end of it, I was like very into it. So just keep going. If you liked the book, you'll still like the show. It just may take a little while to get into it. Before we get into it with Liz, let's hear a word from this week's sponsor. this episode, I will already have come back from Easter weekend in Austin, but trust me when I say I plan to eat very well on this trip home. Like I said, my sister and I are trying a new pizza joint tonight. I'm also going to be trying cheese, new dim sum brunch on Saturday, and we'll of course be having a delicious Easter brunch and other meals out around town. Even though I plan to indulge a bit on this trip, more so than I really have since the start of the year, I always want to make sure I'm consuming healthy things along with the more indulgent things. That means eating at least one meal a day of lean protein and veggies, but also taking my daily AG1 from Athletic Greens. In just one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. I love taking AG1 either first thing in the morning or between my walk with Reese's and my daily workout. I just shake it up in eight ounces of cold water and then toss it back on an empty stomach for ultimate absorption. AG1 is lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It's a small micro habit with big benefits, and it's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. I personally always bring travel packs with me on my trips like this. That way I know I'm doing something good for my body and I'm maintaining at least one healthy habit, even when I'm indulging everywhere else. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash beck and call. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash beck and call to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, guys, I'm so excited. I have Liz Adams on the podcast. Welcome to Beck and Call. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have you. So you are somebody that I have been friends with and followed for a long time. You're one of the OG fashion influencers turned lifestyle blogger. I feel like you really made a pivot later on into more family and home and all of that kind of content. But I'd love to hear a little bit about how you started your blog, what you were doing before then and all about that. Yes. So well, Sequins and Stripes, what is now Hello Adams Family, was actually my third blog. If I actually go way, way back, I started a blog my senior year of college in 2008. I was studying textiles with a minor in business because I was hoping and ended up going into, I was a buyer for a clothing store in the Midwest. So I sort of started my blog as it was sort of my thesis, my senior year of college. And it was kind of silly. I think I was just toying with the idea of what a blog was. Social media 
pretty much didn't really even exist then. I think Twitter had just started. Facebook was small. It, it, you know, I think it was just sort of like an individual basis. And then I sort of pivoted to my second blog was called A Happy Haven. It was very photography based because I feel like that's what all the bloggers were doing back then was just kind of like documenting their life. And then Sequence and Stripes was born in 2011. I was four years post-college. I was um, still a clothing buyer. And that's kind of when like the fashion sector like really began for me. I had no idea that you had two blogs before that. That's so Yeah. Hairbows and Cosmos and A Happy Haven. You know what's so funny? Do you remember my original blog name? I feel like yes, but you have to remind me. Manolos and Martinis. Yes. We all had the and. I love it. I mean, it was truly the first generation. It really was. So... In those early days, you like you said, you called it Sequins and Stripes. And my old blog name was Manolas Martinis. You focus mostly on fashion. But today your blog has more of a family-oriented approach, more lifestyle, food, fitness, fashion, just a wide variety of content in all of those categories. Was this a natural evolution for you, like based on your life stages throughout the years? Or was that an intentional thing moving more away from fashion? I know you still do fashion, but I feel like it's so many other things too. Yes, definitely. I really can't say that it was sort of a strategic transition. It just sort of naturally fell into shape as I got married. I had my first son and now I have three little boys. And I just felt one, I wasn't working in the fashion industry anymore, which was like a big driver of outfits and talking about fashion trends and what was popular. And also I was getting dressed every day to go to work. So I felt like just over time, my style has transitioned so much that I've sort of realized that my following kind of wanted to see the natural progression of my life, which has been great because I am able to share definitely still more style, but I think it's a little more relaxed than it once was. And, you know, recipes and wellness and life as a mom. And I think it's just been like a pretty natural transition. How long were you working full-time and creating content for your site before you decided to take it full-time? So I pretty much right out of college, I would say I was like pretty active in the blogging world. But back then there was no, I had no thought in my mind that ever it would ever be a viable business. I had no idea what that would actually look like. So I would say I was definitely working full-time for five years and my blogs were just like kind of a side project. And it was a fun way to, you know, be creative and have something outside of work. Um, And then it wasn't until 2011 where I started to see, you know, back then we really just had like small businesses on our sidebars. And I just kind of like went for it. Instagram didn't exist. I think it was really just Twitter and Facebook still, maybe Pinterest. So yeah, I think it was pretty much five years between working and having my blog and then going full-time with my blog. Gotcha. Now, is there anything you miss about having a typical nine to five job? I think I miss just working with other people around me. I actually loved, at this time we lived in downtown Chicago and I really did love my commute to work. Um, Now I'm grateful to not have a commute, but I sort of loved the energy that came with getting dressed and out the door and everyone's kind of like shuffling around. And, um, but definitely I just miss like other people around me. It's really just me, myself, and I over here. 
Well, and now your husband, I feel like he's involved in a lot of yes. that. So you do have, you do have some. I do have that. I miss some female energy though. Oh, totally. That's actually one of the questions I was going to ask you later was you have so many men in your house. You I know. Boys, you have a male dog. <laughs> you have a husband. I was going to ask, what do you do to tap into that feminine energy when you just like need girl time? It's hard. Like I really, I really have to kind of separate myself from the two. And I think that when I'm really thriving at work and pushing out consistent content, it's when I feel the most like tapped into my feminine energy. Like I can separate the two because it is, it is hard. It's a daily struggle. Yeah. So I'd imagine doing what you do for a living allows you to really tap into your creativity and kind of do your thing. Totally. Okay. So when you started your blog, when I started my blog, the content we were creating was a lot of it was like long form blog posts, Mm -hmm. letters. Like you said, there was Twitter and Facebook and eventually Pinterest, Instagram, TikTok, Reels, et cetera. Capturing and keeping the attention of followers has proved ever more challenging as all of these things keep coming out, especially the ones that are like just quick attention span, quick and yeah. like all of that. And then also grappling with the algorithm that's constantly changing. What are your thoughts on those changes to the industry you've worked in? And how have you positioned yourself to get the best possible results from creating and sharing your content? I think what I learned from all the transitions we take as content creators in the world of social media and the fact that it's ever changing, I think it's just served as such a reminder that I staying consistent to the brand that I've created, the followers that I attract through my content. I think, and I'm sure you can relate to this. I think there was a period of time where you couldn't tell what was taking. Like you didn't, you couldn't tell what type of content was grasping followers because the algorithm was changing and you felt like you're just constantly making these pivots. So you're trying something that maybe looked like it was working for someone else. Um, And I think just through all of that, I always come back to just creating the content that feels the best for me and also is the most well-received for my followers. I think I'm constantly checking in with my followers to see what, you know, like how everyone's feeling, what the community is enjoying. And I think that has always just served as a reminder, also letting go of the numbers and not focusing so much on that being the growth and instead focusing on like an engaged community. That has been really hard for me as a numbers person, I'll tell you. I get it. I go through that all the time too. Easier said than done. Totally. So what types of content of the, of the types of content you're creating now, what have been your favorite? I feel like you've really gotten into the videos. Well, one, because you have to, because Instagram kind of forced us to, but you know, it's wild. My, my bet, you know, I, as a fashion lifestyle blogger, the majority of our brand collaborations come from fashion brands, lifestyle brands, um, Like that is where the majority of my income comes from. But, you know, at the end of the year, when I go back on my 10 most popular posts, recipes are the number one, which is kind of crazy. I don't know. It it always kind of blows my mind. But I will say I really do have fun. Cooking to me is a creative outlet out almost outside of work, outside of being a mom. So the fact that I get to sort of like flex that muscle and have it be well received for my audience has been fun. I'm in no way like I don't consider myself a good cook or a creator of recipes. I just have fun with it. And like feeding my family can be very exhausting. So having fun with it 
and having my community appreciate it has been really fun. Well, I think what's so great about that, that you figured that out is cooking is pretty accessible. I mean, yes. somebody who <laughs> talks a lot about contemporary and designer clothing, I know that a lot of my choices and things that I post are not attainable to some people. Mm-hmm. But cooking, sharing a recipe is something that most people True. will have time and be able to afford to do. Yeah. Uh, and the way that you do it with Dave, we all are cooking together and sharing that process. And it's funny and fun. I feel like that really shows people into your relationship, brings people into your house. It really does feel like a community. So I love that, that that has worked for you. Yes, that's fun. I think what I've learned too, since becoming a mom is that I can't, you know, you just have to sort of, I always say like embrace the chaos. And I think, especially as a mom, when you're cooking, preparing a meal for like children who are very picky and a husband or yourself finding a recipe that works for the entire family is very challenging. So just like making it fun and lighthearted and embracing the mess and you like, it's silly and it's fun. And it's just a reminder that like, you can't, can't be perfect in all areas of your life or any. For sure. Now this, since we were talking about cooking, I have to bring up all of Lane's shop. So was this, was the reaction to your recipes? Was that something you took into account when creating all of Lane shop or was it how, what inspired you to start that? So actually during COVID, maybe right before COVID, um, we were testing, we, we wanted to launch a, a collection of serveware for kids because I felt like I was always opening our cabinets where all my kids' plates were. And it was just like always a mess. Nothing matched up. Everything was like primary colors. I was like, I just want something like sleek and sophisticated that could look good on a table that I'm eating at with Dave and So that's sort of what started it. And it kind of transpired into like, let's just make, let's make this more than just plates for kids. Like, let's kind of make this a lifestyle brand where we can sort of paint the picture of like what it's like to cook as a family and celebrate as a family and gather as a family. So that's sort of where Olive Lane was born. How's that going? Are y'all planning to launch any new product lines or open a store? Like what's, uh, what's, is there a long-term plan for it or was it? You know, what's funny. I, I feel, I feel like I've learned so much of myself over the years that like, I'm not a good, like long-term goal setter, but I think with Olive Lane, we're actually working on, you know, we've been around for a year and a half. And I think where we, after the holidays, which was crazy, we sort of took a pause and we were like, okay, what do we want this to look like long-term? So we're doing a little bit of a refresh and I'm really excited. We have like a whole new collection of products and brands and we're doing a little like facelift coming May 1st. Um, so it's going to be really fun. Awesome. I can't wait to yeah. see that. I'm in the middle of a little um, brand refresh myself, which will hopefully be launching very soon. I'm doing like full brand makeover. <laughs> I'm getting rid of the That's stuff. the best. <laughs> so are you? Yeah, it's the end of an era. <laughs> uh, it's always, those transitions are always hard, but it's also so exciting. Yeah. When did you uh, launch Hello Adams Family? Like when did that happen from Sequence and Stripes to that? So we rebranded, I want to say November of 2018. Okay. Yep. I had, yeah, I had just had Jack kind of, a Jack was like a year old. So um, yeah, but you know, it feels We've been doing, we're old now in this industry. Like, you know, we're, we're different people than we were when we started. So it feels, it always feels good to 
refresh. You want your current site and branding to reflect how you feel. And I feel like I've had the style scribe since, I don't know, 2012. I think a year after I started my blog is when I changed the name because I knew Manolo's would be a challenge to trade. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I just feel like as a 35 year old woman, I probably have a different approach to things than I did 10 years totally. ago. So anyway, it's a good feeling. Yes. Okay. So back to Instagram and what we do for a living. I saw that you launched a subscription on Instagram. And this Mm -hmm. is something that's super popular right now, not only with content creators on Instagram, but people like journalists are doing Substacks. Yeah. Podcasters have Patreons. And it's something that I feel like we're all kind of headed in that direction just because of the algorithm having to constantly change. It's hard for people to see our content. And the people who are seeing our content, we want to make sure that those people stick around and are engaged. And so we want to offer them something special. And what has been your experience with that so far? Because I've seen kind of a mixed reviews on all ends from influencers and just consumers alike. Yeah. You know what? I, I think the idea of it is amazing. I think what I realized most about it is that... You know, for me, I felt like subscription was sort of like a safer place to chat. And if you follow me, I love to chat. But, you know, chatting on social media comes with its negative side effects sometimes. But what I've learned most with the subscription is that my audience as a whole just wants more. And I think at the stage of life that I'm in, I have three young kids and truly I feel like now more than ever, it's really hard for me to create consistent content without it being, I just, I feel like with the subscription, there's this not urgency, but this like need to kind of step your game up a little bit for these people who want to pay for your content, which I've never done before. And I think I just realized that it's, it's sort of hard. I, I under, sorry, I'm like going in all, oh, all over the place. I think it's hard I understand where someone who maybe you're just a food blogger to do a subscription that maybe goes deeper into their recipes, provides more grocery shopping guides and maybe extra recipes. For me, I just sort of realized that the content I gave to my subscription, I felt like I was failing my followers. Like I was like, you know what? I know my my normal followers would love that information, too. So I do think. I do think the future is probably subscription. I do think there's a lot of advantages to it. I think at the stage of life that I'm in, I think for me, I need to be more loyal to my community as a whole and not focus on subscription as much. Maybe down the line, because it definitely received mixed reviews when it was announced. I totally understand that. And that's part of the reason why I have not done any kind of like, I I would love to do a subscription. I would love to have a Patreon. I would love to have the time to create for content for my podcast. I would love, like, I would love nothing more than to create more content. But I just, when I started this podcast, I thought it was going to be really easy and just something that I did once a week. And it's become way more labor intensive, a lot more time-consuming than I thought. Yeah. That's just off the table. Like I just don't I have know. time with the other stuff and the other content I'm creating for my blog and Instagram and newsletter. And so the idea of also adding more to my plate for subscriptions, not just on Instagram, but on like a newsletter. Or on, totally. on, it's just so much. And like, there are some people, I, I've not signed up for anyone's subscriptions, I don't think, but there are some influencers that I feel like 
have done it in an interesting way, at least to get people like yeah. uh, Nicola Bathy, who I had on a couple weeks ago, she recently started this and she's um, renovating their home. And so a lot of like the fabrics and all of the kind of behind the scenes choices they're making, that's what the subscriptions okay. are getting, the subscribers are getting. So I thought that was sort of interesting, but like, I don't have anything personally going on where I'm like, here's an inside scoop. Like, I don't, <laughs> I feel like I it's- kind of felt that way too. And then I just felt like it took away from the natural content I create for my community anyways. I also think, I think it's hard. I would say the number one thing I've learned in this space is that there are always going to be things that are maybe outside of your normal content that you feel you should do because it's new. Everyone else is doing it. But I've learned that when I put too much on my plate, everything is affected negatively in that way, in that aspect. You know what I mean? Like I can't do everything well when I just put too much on my plate. And then I find myself retracting like, shoot, like I want to offer that, but turns out I cannot. I mean, the same goes for just all of the different verticals. Like we, we have exactly reels. We have photos for our blog and Instagram feed and stories and newsletters. And for me, a podcast. And I know some people have YouTube videos and some people are still on Twitter. Like I, I'm not, not anymore. But. And now there's like, what's lemon eight? Okay. You see so, this lemon eight? What I'm, is it? I'm on it. Okay. What is it? I don't really know. Um, <laughs> it's sort of a mix between like Instagram, Pinterest and TikTok. So when you look at the feed, it's kind of like Pinterest. So you're seeing like multiple posts at once, which is a reason I like it. I like being able to see multiple posts as I'm scrolling, but it also is really cool creator tools as you're posting. So just like you can do on reels um, and TikTok is like adding text and different things to as you're posting versus like having to create something in Canva and then upload it to your feed. So it has like editing features that are good. Yes. yes. And so okay. I like that. So like uh, this week I did a city guide for Carmel because that was just easy to do with content that I already had on my phone yeah. and it's a small city. So it's like yeah. <laughs> easy little list. Um, and it, it took me like 30 minutes to create, which is a lot less time than a reel. Reels take me forever. to Yeah. Create. I'm just like not very creative when it comes to video. And so I really liked that aspect of it, but who knows? I just feel like with social media, whenever there's a new thing, um, it's about, it's not about monetizing it. I talked about this on my stories yesterday, but it's more about uh, casting a wider net. So I'm always trying to grow my audience um, because I, I just, I want to grow and I'm a numbers and Instagram, I feel like has not been very good for my growth lately. So why not try something new? And I mean, why not? Exactly. So, but again, for me, I'm like another app. Okay. Well, it's, it's too much. And I don't, I truly don't know how people like, I'm jealous of people like you and other content creators I follow who are just like naturally really good at things that are new, like the reels and stuff and TikTok. Like I still oh, <laughs> No, that is so nice of you because I feel exactly how you feel. Like I am not my creative energy is very stunted between like working from home, managing a household, mothering children. Like we're all just, it's like, I'm like, I wish it were easy. And then there are people who thrive on reels and they make it look so effortless. I'm like, wow, I need some more excitement in my life that I can share because it's pretty redundant. And 
I, I got nothing. It's yeah, hard. it's it's really hard. And that's probably been my biggest pain point with this industry is that like, I just want to keep doing what I'm good at, which is I'm really good at creating collages. I like creating my blog posts. I like creating my newsletters. I love posting on stories. I am not a video creator and like I, I try to do reels and they just seem cringy. I just feel ridiculous. When I, do I, know. I know, but you know what? I do think, I think there's going to, and I think it's already happening, but I think there's going to be a resurgence of, of blogs and newsletters. And I do think that long form content, like it hits our generation more. I think we're just overpowered by what's trending for Gen Z that we're like, okay, but honestly, they're not my audience, but true. it's, so it's true. hard. You're so right. And maybe I shouldn't be doing the videos. Maybe I should just be sticking to the photos, but I think, hard. I think you do it. You do such a great job. Thanks. We're all hard on ourselves. Yeah, you know? for sure. So as the content creator slash influencer industry continues to evolve, where do you see yourself going? Like, are there other big plans? Are you trying to hone in on one particular piece of content, like your recipes? Like, where do you see things changing for you. I would love to start a podcast with Dave because we we've kind of like tinkered with the idea, but we're such expressive people that I was like, maybe it needs to be video content. And honestly, doing a podcast sounds feels so daunting to me because I'm like, I don't know how to edit. I don't know how to turn all the dials. And like I'm so impressed by you. But you know, it's funny. I feel like I'm constantly torn between I know that growth for me means sharing more and sharing more of my family, sharing more of life, because that's my general content. But I also, there's a part of me that like my kids are, you know, they're seven, five and two, our lives are busy. There's also a part of me that just like wants to put technology away. So I, I do hope and visualize growth for me happening in the form of like more open conversations with Dave and. Oh, again, I'm not a big goal setter or like I need to be better at like visualizations. I think they're very, but I think I'm just kind of like riding the wave as it is right now and hoping for the best. That's all you can do. Honestly. I know, right? I don't know. Also, it's just the landscape changes so, so often, so fast that you just don't even really know what's next. So since you brought up your husband, I wanted to ask, and this is sort of, again, kind of been a pain point for me as a single woman trying to date and also doing this job. What what did he think about you as a blogger when y'all first started dating? Because you you met him after you started yes. blog, right? Okay. I think he was like, what is a blog? What is social media? He would get so annoyed with me. Those were in the days where we would, you would go to a restaurant and they'd put your food on the table and you'd be like, don't so, so you could get that perfect picture. Like, thank God our lives are not like that anymore. But I think now he's so amazed at the industry and like what its capabilities are. And, you know, having a following on social media is not something I take lightly. Like, it's just such a crazy, it really is like an honor to like influence a community of women who are just like truly I mean, there are some stragglers, but truly there to support you and your family. And it's really incredible to see. And and he sees that he, he, he thinks it's come a long way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did it take much convincing to get him involved? Because I, I, I know of some people whose husbands are like not at all involved. I know some who are like total Instagram husbands who like take all the photos and all of that. So how was that 
for you guys when you first started dating and then when you got married and all of that? I definitely remember in the early years, like wanting him to be a professional photographer. I was like, do you know how much easier it would be if you were a photographer? And I, you know, you buy all, you invest in all the equipment and you're just like, you just don't get it. But I will say over the years, he has really like, so he shoots all of my photos on the blog. Yeah. He really has created this like passion. I mean, it's definitely not like a hobby for him at all, but he's definitely invested time into learning. And he really is so helpful. He sort of manages, like he does my taxes. He manages like, he kind of like is my business manager. Um, And that's really his niche. Like he majored in finance. He loves all that stuff. So I think we've found a good groove. Um, And he's just such a funny person. Like I get messages all the time being like, can we see more Dave? He's a character. He is cute and he's very funny. So he is. He is. (laughs) So in relation to that, I know you've talked about being the breadwinner before. And I know that a lot of people still are like influencers can't possibly make that much money. And it's like, trust me, they do. Yeah. What is what has been your experience with that? I feel like a lot of people are probably curious about it. Um, Is that like a weird transition for you when you started becoming the breadwinner? Yes. I think especially, and I'm sure, well, you know, everyone, every household is different, but I just, I grew up, my dad worked, my mom had lots of hobbies, but she was basically a stay-at-home mom. And in my head, I was like, that will just be my life. Like, I'll be the same. And, you know, David, I talk about this a lot because he, you know, he helps me. He also has a small tech company that he works on probably like, I would say just like 30% of his time. And we've definitely gone through periods of a little bit of resentment of like, you have all this time. It really, it's like you have all this time to focus on hobbies and between being a mom and working like and just carrying the emotional load that women carry for whatever it is. It's like, I have no time. I like, and he always says, do you want me to go get a nine to five job? And I'm like, no, that would affect our lives. Like we have such an incredible lifestyle that truly I still have a hard time even explaining to people because it's still so like new, you know? Yes. Long story short, it it has its moments that are hard, but I've also just kind of gotten over it. And I'm so proud of my business and I love working. I was never meant to be a stay-at-home mom. Like I love that I have this and I love that it has what ha- it has provided for my family. But now I'm just so proud that our lifestyle gets to be this. Life. Oh, it's such a gift. It really is yeah. such a blessing to be able to create your own schedule, work from home. Yeah. Boss. I mean, that's, that's truly my favorite part about the job is working for myself. I, I yeah. absolutely love it. And having pretty much total control, total creative freedom with the exception of a couple of sponsored content yes. here and there. Um, but it's great. Now, what would you say that's probably your favorite part about what you do or uh, what are some of your favorite things about being an influencer? Definitely the schedule is a huge one, which I honestly don't like. I sort of don't give that enough credit in my life. Like it just kind of has been that way for so long, which is I'm so lucky. But you don't I never really focused on that being a perk of the job. But I would say connecting to my community. Like I, I tell my mom this all the time. I'm like, I can't even begin to explain the amount of just like cheerleaders I have on the internet internet that have never even met me in person, but just are so supportive of my family and our choices. And just, it's just, it's a really wild 
experience and huge like blessing in my life that I have this like community um, around me. And I think also realizing like seeing the growth of all of us together. You know, I think we go through so many life transitions as women and we're we're always like, how is this going to impact my job? How is this going to impact my life? Like, and just, it's really been a huge comfort in my life to have my community. Totally. Now on the flip side of that, there are obviously negatives to this business Mm -hmm. as well. What are some challenges that you have faced in doing what you do? I mean, definitely the negative comments and sort of, I think even more so like, especially now that I have kids, like privacy and sort of this double-edged sword. And I mentioned this earlier, like knowing that sharing more is really a key to growth for me, but also feeling this desire to sort of retract a little bit. I think especially during COVID and, you know, all the crazy things our world went through in the last couple of years, I think a lot of, there was just so much controversy and opinions and it kind of felt like you didn't know what to say. And I think that can be hard sometimes just, you know, on Instagram, we share such a small portion of our lives to our communities. And it's really easy for someone to take that, you know, five minutes of a day and turn it into this huge life story. So I think just seeing the negative side effects of social media becomes a little bit challenging when you like really focus on it. Totally. I, I think we all probably went through similar. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. How would you say you deal with that with social media? Do you set boundaries for yourself? I like, for example, I have stopped reading DMs every day. I do it like once or twice a week now. Um, so that I'm just like, and luckily there aren't like too many negative comments. It's like, just like here and there occasionally, but just doing it less. I feel like I, there's less pressure. I feel like I'm, I'm not like constantly looking at my my phone. Like I used to, because I just was always reading them whenever I got them versus I need to take that. I feel like when I have like moments to work because my days are kind of all over the place, I'm like, oh my God, who can I respond to? Like, I definitely need to set more boundaries on that level. But in general, I I will say, I feel like I'm good of just like checking out of social media. I am, I am a big fan of like deleting Instagram from my phone for like four days. Oh, I love that. I don't have any sponsorships. Um, and just like, I will say Being a mom really fills my cup when I can spend dedicated time with my family. So I think that's really my, what works for me when it comes to separating myself from, from all that stuff. I love that. I have never deleted Instagram off my phone. It's it's sort of exhilarating and you don't miss anything. You come back and you're like, you you know, everyone's stories are gone in 24 hours. You don't even know what you miss. Yeah, I know. Nice. It's just like, I don't know. Again, it's like the numbers first in me, the fear that if I don't post for a few days, I just won't show up in anyone's feed ever again. (laughs) I know. I know. But honestly, we've just been trained and taught that that will happen. I know. It's the worst. I know. It really is. Okay. So I, I thought of this question and I thought it was a good one because I feel like there are so many things that we used to take so seriously back in the day. beginning of blogging. So what is something you used to take super seriously? Oh my God. I always laugh at how much money I spent on iced coffees, smoothies, and like peonies for a photo. For a photo. <laughs> like just for like a down photo of like your coffee and like you would like hold a bunch of peonies and oh my God, or just strategically going to places that were like aesthetically pleasing. So it made your photo even better. Like I just 
the amount of time I committed to the pretty picture in general is just, oh God, like it's really hard to think about sometimes. I am exactly the same way. I feel like I did all those same things. I would buy flowers with no purpose of buying them other than to take a photo of me holding flowers, you know, whatever, or a vignette of some kind and the iced coffees and the matchas and smoothies and acai bowls. Remember those? Oh, yes. (laughs) And it would be like your acai bowl and then your sunglasses and then your wallet and like the amount of time we put into those photos, like. And the murals. I know some people still do this. I, I got so comfortable during the pandemic shooting in my house or outside my house that I just like am too, I'm too embarrassed to do it in public anymore. I, I actually am more mortified now than like we'll be shooting on like a quiet street and someone's walking their dog and I'm like, we're done. We're yeah. done. I don't need any more photos. Or like in front of my house and people will be walking their kids or walking their dog. And I'm like, hi. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. I'm just like too nervous and uncomfortable to shoot in public anymore. And I used to take it so seriously, like would really set it up, would like do the heavy editing and make sure it had a filter on it. I mean, it was uh, photography. It was so bad. And I used to put so much blush on my cheeks for photos. And I look back, I'm like, I literally just look like Bozo the Clown. Like it was just like. Gosh. I love that. Good old days. Yes, totally. So I kind of already asked this question, but how has dealing with any negative commentary you have received, how does that impact how and what you share? I definitely think, I just definitely think in general, I share less of my personal life. I think half of that is that my kids are just getting to an age where our lives are just busier. Three kids really threw us for a loop um, in terms of just absolute chaos in our, in our house. But, um, I think I visualize more what people can take and turn into whatever they want to turn it into that. I'm more private about definitely like my personal life, my family. Yeah. I think now I'm just, I I just share what I think would be helpful to people or just, you know, random occurrences in my day that are funny and silly and just like the life of a mom. And yeah, I definitely think I don't share as much as I used to. And I don't know if that's because of like privacy or of because of time. Gotcha. Do you find that because you do share your kids a lot, you get a lot of unsolicited mom and parenting advice? I feel like that would drive me crazy. Yes. And like at, now that I have three, I'm like, I'm probably just as seasoned as you are. And yeah, I, I, um, the mom blog, it, it's a whole other world of, um, I, I could get really defensive and I could go off onto like, you know, and it all just comes down to like no one in the world mothers the same way. Like we're all navigating different children, different abilities, different environments, but there's lots of conversation. Nobody puts your kids like you do. So no, uh- exactly. I know. So I, I do think being in this industry and space for so long has just given me thicker skin to all of it. And I'm fine just sort of not giving attention to certain comments that I'm like, this doesn't serve me or you like, you don't need a response. It's not really worth my energy. Great. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Because you've mentioned that your days are sort of chaotic. <laughs> how, yeah. do you, how do you plan out your week? Like what does a typical day look like? For you? Oh my God, Merritt. I feel like my calendar would give you so much anxiety. You would be like, <laughs> it probably would. I, so my assistant Carolyn has been with me for six years. She is like my lifeline. She actually lives in Portland, Oregon. But she manages my entire editorial calendar. So that stuff is pretty, 
I always say, I don't know how, but like somehow I get my previews in and all my brand partnerships done. Even the, even if I have 30 minutes, I'm like, I'm going to knock this out. But I definitely do not like, you know, I'm not looking at my to-do list like at 8 a.m. I'm going to do this. 9 a.m. I'm going to do this. Like I, in general, in general, I wake up an hour before my kids. I try to catch up on all my emails. Something about me is that I thrive in the mornings. Like I can knock out three hours of work in 45 minutes if I have my coffee and like, so I take full advantage of that. And then during the day, Dave and I just have this balance that is completely unbalanced, but we just like get everything done that we need to get done. As long as it works for you. Yeah. I don't, I also don't have, I mean, my life is much less chaotic than yours. I'm, I'm sure as somebody who is child-free and single, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I honestly can't imagine. And also having your online shop too. Like, do I'm assuming y'all have employees. I have a team for that. (laughs) Um, I have two girls that work for me with Olive Lane and then, um, I have my assistant for hello Adams family. And then I, my, I have um, my managers, I'm with the state five in Dallas. Um, and they just sort of negotiate all my contracts. So I really do, even though I'm not working with people, like I do have a team like helping me. Yeah. So it's great. Have you enjoyed being part of an agency? I really, really have. And I kind of thought I wouldn't, but I, my business changed after I signed with an agency. It really has been awesome. Yeah. It's been great. I feel like Dallas is like such a hub with a state five Dallas is okay. such a hub. <laughs> yeah. My gosh. Um, but yeah, they're great. Good. So this is sort of not a depressing question by any means, because I feel like people leave all the time, but has there ever been a time that you wanted to like throw in the towel of being an influencer or do you ever see yourself stepping away from it? I mean, throw in the towel. Yes. A lot. Like, you know, it's just, I think it's easy. You know, they always say comparison is the thief of joy. And I think one thing about social media and working in this industry is that you are constantly exposed to other people seemingly outperforming you. Like if you're feeling maybe like creatively, you know, inaccurate, you're going on to social media to like find inspiration. But for us, we're just watching our peers, like just freaking knock it out of the park. And I'm like, womp womp. You know what I mean? So I think there are many... There have been many instances where I get caught in that comparison game of like, what I'm doing is not enough. What can I do differently? Everyone has already done it all. Like, am I just, what's the word when you are like, you feel like you're acting like someone else? Do you know what I'm talking about? Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Like, I I just think it's easy to get caught up in that. And then kind it's hard to get out of, you know what I mean? And I do wonder... You know, I think as long as I can be relatable and open, I see a future for myself in this space. I've just really honed into being my authentic self. I can give you a long story about that. But just like after having kids, I was like, I can't keep up with the game anymore. Not that it's a game, but like, I can't keep up. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. I can't keep up with the, the perfect picture. And I had really bad postpartum with my first son. And I do think a lot of that was because it was like... I, you know, this is who I have to be. This is what I have to show my life looks like. And I was, it was the opposite of how I felt. And after I had my second son, I was like, I will never go back to that. And so I really do think that was like the natural pivot of my, you know, how I presented myself and like really finding my authentic self. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. But yes, I always have those feelings. Oh yeah. I think, I think most of us have at one point or another. Yeah. 
So speaking of your kids, three boys, a lot, (laughs) that's a lot, a lot. How, how did they see you like as your job? Do you think they understand what you're doing? Do they get it? I definitely don't think they get it. They, I asked my oldest son, this it's changed since then, but about six years or six years ago, six months ago, I asked my oldest son, I was like, what do you think mommy does for work? And he said, take care of, takes care of us. And in my heart, I was like, oh, I hope he always thinks that. thinks that. But then I was also like, I also want him to know like what I've built. And um, so I, I sat down. So my oldest son is seven and I sat down with him and I was like, this is what mommy shares. This is my website. And, you know, he doesn't get it, it all. Um, <laughs> but I think it's hard. This is another thing I struggle with. Like there's just so much screen time in our lives now that, you know, when I'm on my phone, I'm like, mommy's working. But I think for him, he thinks I'm like playing a game or something. So, yeah, I I haven't really introduced them to like the social media world, like what that is. But um, he knows I have a website and I, you know, he's like, you share dresses. I'm like, yeah, that is part of it. Accurate. Yep. <laughs> Accurate. So, yeah, that's pretty much what they think. What is your favorite part about being a boy mom? Oh, my gosh. As exhausting as their energy is, it is like so life giving. They wake up, and I'm sure everyone would say this about their kids, but they just wake up with such a zest for life and it doesn't stop until they go to sleep. And I think they're just, you know, they're not, I'm a girl, so I can say they're not very dramatic. They're just like little boys who are rough and tumble and they get dirty and. I'm constantly disappointed at their choices. Like they're just like, they're just rogue. Like they just go for it. They want to do what they want to do. But it is so, it's so amazing to like watch your kids live out childhood. It's like so much fun to watch their, you know, childhood through my eyes. And I just, it's it's chaos, but it's amazing. That, yeah, it's fun. I can't believe we haven't talked about Chicago yet because, you know, there was a point where I was going to move there. And I think that- Oh my gosh. Y'all moved in 2020, right? It was like- yeah. Yeah. I I was planning to move I right before the pandemic. My house was on the market and then every like everything shut down. And I was like, my God, part of I me was when grateful. you were in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Part of me was grateful because I think I like had a little bit of cold feet, but also I'm so glad I didn't move because then we were at home for so long and I'm so glad I had like a backyard, yeah. my car. <laughs> yeah, it was a good move. Leave my house. <laughs> So aside from you were in Chicago, most of your adult life, right? And your family's, um, is your family Mm -hmm. from Michigan or from? No, I'm from Chicago. So I was like born and raised there, went away for college, came back. Dave is from Michigan. Okay. I knew there was a Michigan connection because I know you all go there a lot. So aside from leaving your parents in Chicago, what was the hardest adjustment for you making that long distance move? I think just really starting over, which sounds dramatic because I, you know, I think something about motherhood is like very settling in your life, but you get to an age where, I mean, and any woman would agree, like you meet your community. And I think moving to a place where I had to like Google map everywhere I went, like the unfamiliar, I right. feel like would be it. Um, and making new friends and kind of, there's like a level of insecurity that comes with that because so much of my, so many of my friendships leading up to our move to Charleston. And obviously we're all still friends, but like they knew me from like a young age from my childhood. So sort of meeting new friends from a place of like, Hey, this is who I am. This is who I am now. Like, I guess my early years don't really matter in our friendship. It's just like a different foundation. And we moved when George was seven weeks old. So I was already kind of like, um, in a weird place (laughs) postpartum, 
But yeah, I think just putting yourself out there when things are unfamiliar, but it, it has been the best thing we could have ever done for our family. Well, I'm jealous. It's such a beautiful place to live. I love, love it. it. What's been your favorite part about living in Charleston? Definitely the people. The people are incredible. I feel so lucky that there is such an incredible group of creatives here, whether it's influencers, small businesses, you know, the, the restaurants are incredible. It's really just like a very supportive community. And yeah, I just feel lucky that I kind of have that door open just being in this industry for so long when we moved here. I feel like, like you said, Charleston is also such a hub for influence. Mm-hmm. Like so many great ones live there. Yeah. I feel like it was easier because you sort of had a built-in friend group, even though they were through work, it was nice to have people that you could just go to dinner with right away. Like, do you think that totally. made the moving process easier for you guys? Yes, definitely. Um, one of my oldest friends in blogging, Chastity Evans, her blog is Look, Linger, Love. She has lived here for, oh, I want to say like 12 years. Um, and we had we had actually talked about moving to Charleston uh, before we got married. So that was like eight years ago. And I always sort of like checked in with Chastity, like, you know, we're still thinking about it. And she's like, I still can't believe you guys actually did it. But I will for sure. I think just having like that group to be social with, like if I needed to go talk to someone over a glass of wine or meet for coffee or just, and again, everyone here, even bloggers or influencers or that I didn't know were just like, Hey, come out to dinner with my husband and I, or Liz, let's go to a workout class. Like everyone was just so like welcoming, um, which was amazing. I love that. I'm so glad that. Yeah. It's a wonderful experience moving there. So one more Charleston question, and then I have a little lightning round, just a few more questions, if that's all right. Of course. So if someone only had 24 hours in Charleston, what would your recommended itinerary be? Okay, I would wake up. Hopefully you're staying at like a great hotel in the city. Wake up, go to Harkin Cafe for a coffee and like a breakfast sandwich or an avocado toast. Walk south abroad, like the Battery and Rainbow Row and all the pretty like roads or little streets back there. And then I would probably go to lunch at 167. They open at 11. They don't take reservations. Go there at 11. Shop around while you're waiting for your table. Go to um, Bowen Row, Lake Pajamas. Okay. Then after lunch, you're going to go to Sullivan's Island. It's going to be an Uber drive. It's like 15 minutes. Walk the beach. Go to home team for a game changer. Delicious. Yes. It's like this frozen beachy drink. It's amazing. Um, Then maybe like get massages at the Dewberry and then shower for dinner. Go to the rooftop at the Dewberry. This is very expensive. Go to the rooftop at the Dewberry, have a drink at the Citrus Club. And then for dinner, I would say the ordinary or... Chubby Fish is amazing, but they don't take reservations. So you would have to go and line up at like 530 um, or a new restaurant open called Sorel. Okay. That's my, that's my day. I mean, I have my plans the next yeah. time. <laughs> okay. So. That's what you're going to do. Okay. Moving on to the lightning round questions. What okay. is must have Holy Grail skincare or beauty product? Probably M61 60 second facial glow peels. Okay. I've been using them for 10 years. They're the best. I don't do peels. So is it just, does it help with like skin texture? It's, yes. It's like a wipe and it's an exfoliator. Um, it, it's just like makes exfoliating super easy, but I swear it has like totally changed the texture of my skin. All right. I'm going to check that out. Yes. <laughs> what clothing brand would you say you own the most of? 
Um, probably road dresses, a Goldie jeans or Loeffler Randall shoes. Love that. I love, I'm wearing a Goldie right now. I are you new obsession. I didn't start wearing them until last year and fully obsessed. The best. The best. What is your favorite indulgence for thing to splurge on? Honestly, probably groceries. Isn't that bad? But probably no, I mean, I'm like a grocery snob. It really pains me. Um, if it had to be like a material thing, probably I always can justify shoes for some reason. Same. Chanel Ballet flats, if I'm going to be specific. Yeah. <laughs> Love that for you. If you could, what advice would you give your younger self? Probably just like trust yourself. Like, I think intuition is very, very powerful. I think when you're growing up, it's really easy to take a road that maybe wasn't meant for you because someone else was doing it. And I think just think like trusting yourself is truly like the key to everything. I love that. Well, Liz, I loved having you on the podcast. I think we covered a wide range of topics. here. (laughs) (laughs) would love to have you back anytime. Oh my gosh, I loved it. Why don't you share how people can find you, where they can shop your stuff, all of the good stuff. Yes. So um, you can find me on Instagram at Liz Adams. Super simple. My website is helloadamsfamily.com. And you can find my little kitchen site, olive-lane.com. And yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I loved it. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying Beck and Call, please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow along on Instagram at Beck and Call Podcast. And you can also follow me personally at Merit Beck for more fashion content, lifestyle, travel, all the good stuff. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye.